The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome, folks, to the Keep or Cut podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherlist Podcast Network. We are back to our weekly programming. We're going to be coming out every Wednesday during the season up until the World Series, I guess. I don't even remember what we did last year. Was it the end of the regular season where we stopped or was it the playoffs? I think it was the end of the regular season, but uh, there's really no reason for us to stop then because there's there's a lot going on during the postseason from a keeper perspective for sure. Yeah, that's actually a great point. So we'll, we'll keep going weekly up and through the World Series. You can follow us at, at Keep or Cut. You can follow Chad at, at Chad Young, and you can follow me at, at Pete B Baseball. We're coming at you today with our starting pitcher rankings. Our just doing our top tens. Starting pitcher is so deep, and there's so much to say about every single pitcher that if we try to go any deeper than that, I don't know how many episodes we would have to do. I'm, I'm fans. I'm a fan of several podcasts that are on like their third episode of their starting pitcher preview. And I don't, I don't think we're going to go that deep, but we will, as usual, hit you with our favorite ADP value, our least favorite ADP value, our prospect to watch and so on and so forth. But Chad, you and I have had quite a few drafts between this moment and the last time we spoke any thoughts on the address that closed out, the auctions that closed out, any of the stuff that you just want to get off your chest uh, before we get into starting pitchers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did. We had, by that point, we had started the Podcaster League draft. We hadn't finished. We had started our Keeper League, our Listener Keeper League drafts, but we hadn't finished. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I probably have lots of thoughts. I'm super interested. I, Tim Canick, who, who does the Fantasy Baseball podcast and is in that podcaster's league, is doing a bunch of like one-on-one interviews, conversations for his pod with everyone or as many people in that league who are willing to sign up. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see how that goes because I think it'll give, it, it'll give me a lot of insight into how everybody in that league was drafting. And um, I think it'll be really interesting for our listeners as well. So once those are up, we'll, we'll point those out to you because... Um, it's a good podcast. Tim's got some good stuff. He plays a lot of auto news. So he talks a lot of auto news. He talks a lot of keeper league stuff. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I think for me that, that draft, other than it being five by five and I don't do a lot of auto new five by five. So it was, that was a little new to me. Um, that draft was more typical for me. The, our, our listener keeper leagues, 
like I don't do a ton of draft leagues. I mostly do auction leagues. And so doing a draft league with keepers um, is always sort of, I always learn things from those drafts. And I think for me, one of the things that came up was the trade-off of keeping late round pick players. So like, you know, we talk about it all the time. I'm very focused on keeping surplus when I keep right. I'm not keeping my best players. I'm keeping my best values. And so in both of those leagues, I had, I had almost no picks after like the 20th round because those are most of the guys I kept. And it makes it a lot harder to take flyers on guys because a guy like Trent Grisham, who for example, who interesting example, I really like this year. I'm very high on him. I had no problem like. I'm trying to think when I took him because I took him in at least one of those leagues. And I need one second. Here, let's pull up my phone. I need one second to try to pull this up. But I took him in at least one of those leagues. I was fine where I took him relative to the other players available. It wasn't like I was like, oh man, I'm taking him in the 15th round and there's so many good players on the board. And how can I draft him here? It was more of a, I don't know. Um, it, like that wasn't the issue. Let's see if I can find him on here. So I'm looking at our listener league one, which I believe is where I believe I took him. Yeah, I took him in the 17th round. And so when I look at the other guys going in the 17th round. Um, you you kept Devin Williams right before that. Then Joey Manessis went, Ricky Tiedemann, Adelise Garcia was a keeper, Mark Canna was picked there, Walker Bueller. Like, I, I have no issue with Grisham over any of those guys. The challenge is in that league, Grisham is now a 15th round pick as a keeper for me next year, right? In, in a in a startup keeper league where you took him in the 27th round, the 25th round, something like that, he's a much more enticing keeper. And I think it's one of the things I'm going to need to think about next year is how much do I value having those late round picks, would I rather have had a you know, 25th round pick if it meant I could have kept, picked someone there that I was excited about keeping? I think this year the answer is no. I think the, the when I look at my late keepers in that league and it's like, I'm not giving up, a, you know, I, I'd rather have Michael Harris than a 28th round pick. I'd rather have Andres Jimenez than a 27th round pick. I'd rather have Ezekiel Tovar than a 26th round pick or Lars Newbar versus a 25th, although those guys are getting a little closer to being debatable, but I would have had to take those guys so much earlier. So I still think it's the right thing to do, but it is something some, from a planning perspective, I'm going to try to be more cognizant of next year is that like when you don't have those late round picks, it changes how you think about flyers. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I also think there's something to be said for just locking up studs early. Um, now in that particular league, you and I didn't really have a choice, right? I mean, we were, we drafted between the two rosters and there were so many insane values like the Jimenez, like the Michael Harris Jr. that you referenced there. Um, but it was in the other <clears throat> fan tracks listener league that we're in where I, I had slight regrets there um, because I did what you what you were alluding to there. I kept players for those late round picks just because it was like good value. But I didn't account for the fact that like I think I'd rather just have studs at like basically face value. Um, and the two names that came to mind were Max Fried and Luis Castillo, who I had basically for like, I, I think it was a sixth, sixth round pick for one of them and seventh round pick for the other. And when you look at that and, and correlate that with ADP, it was like, okay, I mean, that's like 
that's where they're going. But what I didn't really account for was the inflation. Um, yeah. and, and so they, they went much earlier, um, than I would have had to have kept them for. And when I look at my, like every time my pick came up for a keeper, you know, like whenever it was my turn to pick, but instead I had a keeper slotted in there, I felt good about the player except for Lance McCullers because he got hurt. Um, yeah. but like, that's almost not the point. It's like, okay, great. I got a little bit of value here, but my team just would have been better if I had Luis Castillo and Max Fried instead of a really cheap McCullers and a really cheap Jose Miranda. And so by not keeping those two pitchers, I do get those picks back, right? So now I am picking in the sixth round. I am picking in the seventh round and I was able to get pieces that I, I really like and help put together my team. But at the end of the day, would I rather have those late round picks to kind of fire a shot and just have Luis Castillo and Max Fried locked up? Obviously, in retrospect, I would rather that. Um, so it was a, a little bit of a letdown. I still feel like the team will compete, though, but um, definitely a, a missed opportunity for my rotation. Yeah, so you you would have needed to give up a sixth for Freed and a seventh for Castillo. I actually, I took Castillo. I took him in the third. And that is, again, it's it's an inflation thing. I mean, if you look at what was going on in the third round, at that point, you know, there were a lot of keepers, obviously, but like, Woodruff, Sandy, Cole, Burns had all been picked. Cease, Bieber, Scherzer, Nola, DeGrom. And then after that, it was like Wheeler, Julio Urias, Yu Darvish. Actually, I took Wheeler as well. Like it it wasn't a uh I don't think Castillo was out of place being taken there. And then Freed was taken late fourth round, sort of later in that run. Again, like right after him, Logan Webb went, Alec Manoa. Like it it's not Neither of those guys was taken super early relative to the other pitchers on the board. And to your point, it's it's the inflation, right? It's it's we talk about inflation all the time from auction leagues, because I think in some ways it's it's easier to talk about, right? Like your forty dollar everyone's gonna go for twenty percent more. So your forty dollar guys are now forty eight and your thirty dollar guys are now thirty seven. And like that's or thirty six, sorry. That's that was bad math. Um, but it's but it's relatively easy math despite the mistake I just made. Um, but it's much harder to think like, what is twenty percent more than a sixth round pick? It's not a fifth round pick. And that's you know, and so you almost have to look at it from a perspective of like, oh, the top like ten pitchers were all capped, or twelve of the top fifteen pitchers were capped, and so it's gonna push every pitcher up twelve spots. And twelve spots for a pitcher isn't just one round of in a twelve right in a twelve teamer. If only three pitchers going around, that's four rounds that that guy's getting pushed up. And you know maybe it's more like three rounds, but like and that, that's basically what happened with both Castillo and Freed. They were pushed up three to four rounds, and that's uh, that's not a, a crazy thing to expect. But I, I do think it's something, and it, it, it creates some interesting challenges because like I'm trying to see if I can find your keepers from that league just to figure out like what what could you have done differently because I'm not sure that was our that's our head-to-head league right Here we go. that is the head-to-head I, I mean I know I would have been better off not keeping McCullers and keeping one of Castillo or Freed, probably Castillo. I like him a little bit more for the strikeout upside, but it's, I mean, it's all hindsight's 2020, right? Because yeah. the keepers lock at the same time for everybody. So knowing how many starting pitchers are going to be kept is you can't really account for that when you're selecting your own keepers. And 
starting pitcher, like if I'm going to miss out on a position going into a draft this year, I, I'm kind of okay with it being starting pitcher. Um, at the same time, it, it didn't come out necessarily the way I wanted it to. So, I mean, had you kept Freed or McCullers? Let's say you or Freed or Castillo. They were, what did I say? I said Freed would have been your sixth round pick. You took Jose Abreu, one, two, three, yeah, in the sixth. And then you took Jordan Romano in the seventh. Those were your sixth and seventh round picks. So those are the guys you would have given up. Instead, you gave up, like McCullers, like you said, he was your 25th round pick. Um, Other guys going around there, David Peterson, Trevor May, I believe Nolan Gorman was picked there, not capped. Jock Peterson. Yeah. Are you really better off now? Let, let's leave aside the fact that McCullers is hurt again, right? Because I mean, I get we can argue whether or not you should have known that was coming, but when you made this decision, <laughs> he he wasn't hurt when you made the decision, correct? And so I don't know that like Abreu or Romano plus McCullers makes you worse than Freed or Castillo plus Jock Peterson. Well, I mean, it, it, that's assuming that you stick with those players for the entire year. But if I end up taking Jock Peterson and drop him for something better, I mean, there's always something available in free agency. Like my best keeper arguably is Kyle Wright for a literal last round pick because I got him off free agency. So sure, look at it in a vacuum. Those three players versus those three players or whatever scenarios shake out. Sure. I mean, I, I could see it kind of breaking even if McCullers was healthy. Um, but I'd still... It, it, in just a 12, if it's a 15 teamer, maybe, but in a 12 teamer, not necessarily shallow, but shallower, I'd rather just have the studs. Um, and especially since I use that pick on a closer, that just kind of felt like, all right, there's not a lot of players in this range. I like closers are going off the board. I had a feeling you were going to take one and I think you ended up taking Housley. So I was like, I might as well just lock up a second closer here. Cause if I don't get a second closer, keeping Emmanuel Klaas, I was kind of useless um, because he can, you know, give me three saves in a week. I'm still going to lose every week in that category. Right. Um, so yeah. Head to head. You, you have to make that decision, right? You can't just like in Roto, really you can sort of be one. like, yeah, no, in, in Roto, you can sort of be like, you know what? I got class a, he's going to give me some solid floor and I'll speculate the rest of the way. And I'll try to end up middle of the pack and that'll be good enough in head to head. You're like, if you have, if you have class a, you beat the teams that punted saves and you lose to the teams that didn't. Right. <laughs> and that's it. Exactly. And so, um, I, I struggled with that a bit too, because in that one I had kept, uh, I kept Scott Barlow, who isn't even a very good closer. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, I ended up making the decision there. Same thing. I, I took Helsley and then I took Andres Munoz, um, a few rounds later. Uh, I also grabbed Liam Hendricks later in that one. I think I, I might've taken Hendricks in both of those drafts, didn't I? Um, I think so. and to me, H Hendrix in, in the, especially in the head to head one, Hendrix is a, even if I don't do well with saves during the season, if I do well enough to make the playoffs and all of a sudden when the playoffs start, I get to add Liam Hendrix to my, to the mix. Like it puts me in a really good spot for the postseason. in the other league. Hendrix is much more of a, just a stash, right. In in a, in a Roto league, like I don't know. I guess it just is. I, I don't know that I expect Hendricks to be back before the all-star break. I, it's all just speculation at this point. It could be even less than that. Even if he comes back right away, he may not close right away. So like 
you may only get seven saves from Hendricks. But if those seven saves are over the three weeks of the playoffs, which they would be in head-to-head, that's great. Uh, I'll take that. In Roto, I'm not sure he's going to be a difference maker for me this year. Uh, In the Roto League, for me, it was much more... See if I can pull that league up real quick. It was it was much more a case of like at this point in the draft, am I getting anything? I'm probably going to drop anyone I pick up at this point in the draft, anyways. Right at some point in the season, this guy's going to get cut. And is there anything I'm going to pick up that's going to do better for me before I drop them than just dumping Hendricks? I took him in the 19th round. So you took Alex Lang right before I took Hendricks in the 19th. And then the next picks were like Cal Quantrill, who I don't think was a keeper, Daniel Hudson, um, Javi Baez, who you could, I guess you can make a case for Seth Brown, Kyle Finnegan, Brian De La Cruz. Like there's a lot of interesting guys there, but like I can pick up a floor guy like Seth Brown or an upside player like Brian De La Cruz off the wire. Once I put Hendricks on the IL and we open fab and going into next season, I'm going to have Hendricks as an eight, that round. It's a, that draft. It's a two round premium. But if Hendricks comes back and is his normal self, which is you know obviously a big question mark, a 17th round Liam Hendricks becomes an easy keeper for me next year. And in that league, all of a sudden now, I, it's going to be this is going to be a weird one for me because you know I'm not a I'm not always big on on drafting closers early and stuff like that, but. If David Bednar is as good as I think he is, he becomes a 14th round keeper for me with Liam Hendricks as a 17th round keeper. That's a pretty great start to a bullpen. It's almost not even a great start to a bullpen. That's that's just a bullpen. That's a good um, bullpen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I ha- I don't even have to worry about it in the draft, which will make me so happy. So uh, David and Liam, if you're out there listening, I really need you guys to pitch well this year. Um, <laughs> Liam, I know you got you got bigger things to worry about, so focus on that first. Uh-huh. But when you get back, I'm looking forward to seeing you pitch the way you always you always do. So, and there's there's quite a few players like that that fit that bill this year. I mean, last year it was Tyler Glass. Now, right? It was all right in your keeper leagues. Keep an eye on Glass. Now, you and I both did that in both of these leagues um, because he'll definitely be a keeper going into the following season, and he'll be really cheap. This year we have like we have three or four: um, Hendricks, Bryce Harper, who it's going to be hard to get a complete bargain on him, but you can still get him pretty good in the head-to-head league if you're just going to have him full throttle. He's definitely worth it. Walker Bueller, who I know you're not as high on, and the one that I took was Trevor Story, who for a categories league, second base eligibility, and he's going to have that for the rest of his career. Um, if I'm keeping him for a 19th, 18th round pick next year, that's a guy who could go 25, 15 with, with 90 RBI if he's hitting in the middle of the Red Sox lineup. And I, I think if he returns to who he was, that might be being a little conservative. So keep an eye on those four names there. Hendricks, Bueller, Harper, and Story, because in your keeper leagues, get them add, for bargains. Add Shane Boz to that list as well. Ah, that's another good one. Right, another five. guy who's, yeah. I almost feel like there's someone I'm missing from last year. I don't think it was just Glass now, but... Um, there's definitely more. No, I mean, Glasshouse Sale was going to come back late in the year. People right. were uh, stashing him. Who else? I thought there was maybe one other Tommy know. John guy. Sale, Glasnow, and... Huh, can't remember. Severino, maybe? <laughs> yeah. He's the other guy I could think of. Yeah, that would have been maybe that would have been two years ago. Whatever the case, keep an eye on those guys who are injured, um, and you could get at keeper bargains. I think it's time. Speaking of injuries, to start talking about starting pitcher. <laughs> um, so let's get into our top ten 
starting pitcher rankings. I'm just going to start by reading Chad's and then I'll read mine and we'll start breaking these down. So we both had the same guy up top and that is Corbin Burns. And to me, that was kind of like a slam dunk, obvious one. Um, We'll see if Chad feels the same way. So Chad's list, number two, Spencer Strider. Number three, Shane McClanahan. Number four, who, if I recall, you did not have last year, Shohei Otani coming off the heels of an awesome, awesome season. And now we're flipped because I don't have Otani in my list. Number five, Sandy Alcantara. Number six, Brandon Woodruff. Number seven, Aaron Nola. Number eight, Luis Castillo. Number nine, we have a lot of differences here, Shane Bieber. And number 10, coming in all the way at number 10, Carlos Rodon. For me, it's Burns, DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom. I still think he's pretty good. Spencer Strider, Sandy Alcantara, Garrett Cole. Did I not see Cole? Oh, my goodness. Wow. There's some difference. I don't have DeGrom. I don't have DeGrom or Cole on my list. I know you didn't have DeGrom. Now not seeing Cole. My goodness. Shane McClanahan came in at sixth for me, which was tough. I love Shane. Carlos Rodon, seven. Aaron Nola, eight. Brandon Woodruff, nine. And I have Kevin Gosman at number 10. So, Chad, we have to immediately. You do the best pitcher in baseball you don't have on your list. So let, let's talk about that. I know. I, I'm probably uh, overreacting to make a point in a way. Um, For our listeners, that's Jacob DeGrom. Just so we're yeah. on the same page. Yeah, he, I mean, he's unquestionably the best pitcher in baseball when he's on the mound. I, I, uh, I mean, so just to give you a sense, like, I'm doing my... I. I was out of town this last week, um, so I also put this together sort of quickly. But uh, but I was out of town this last week, and I can't do NFBC leagues from Washington because it's one of the states that's excluded, but I was not in Washington, so I signed up for a couple. I'm doing my first ever Draft Champions League. I took Jacob deGrom in the second round. Um, I, I was, you know, late-ish second round, 21st pick. It's a, it's a little ahead of his ADP, but not a ton, but like... I, I am I am a fan of Jacob deGrom. I think he is excellent. I think in redraft, I am all over him. In keeper leagues, and th- this is where things like cost and stuff comes into play because I, I don't think I would hesitate to keep him in, in like our, or to pick him up in our leagues where you can't spend, you can't, like one of our leagues, you listener leagues, anyone kept in the first, picked in the first or second round can't be kept. Doesn't really matter what their future value is. Other league, it's just the first round. But there's there's risk in his redraft value due to injury. He's also 34. And I think you can, like, I go both ways on his age. On the one hand, I'm like, well, he hasn't thrown that many innings for a 34-year-old. And on the other hand, it's like, yeah, but there's a reason he has. <laughs> like, DeGrom hasn't thrown a lot of innings for your average 34-year-old because he can't stay on the mound. And so for me, as I started to look at like in a keeper league, you know, you put him second. I, like I said, I think he's, he is the best pitcher in baseball when he's on the mound. I'd rather get the innings and the youth from Burns. I felt the same about Strider. And then I felt the same about McClanahan and we'll talk about Shohei, I'm sure. But as I kept going down this list, I I don't know, maybe I should have slotted him in. I'm I'm really high on Castillo this year. I think Castillo is going to have a big year this year. And so maybe I should have slotted him in somewhere around Castillo, maybe ahead of Bieber or Rodon. Um, I think Rodon might be the the hardest argument for me in terms of like why, like realistically, why is he ahead of DeGrom? But I don't know. I'm, you know, I also like, 
I don't have, neither of us have Scherzer on the list. Neither of us have Verlander on the list. And while they are older than DeGrom, DeGrom is, you know, there's nobody else on this list that's pushing 35 for either of us. And I just, I don't know. I just decided there was too much risk in a, in a keeper format. And realistically, I'm, I'm, I don't know. He, he should, he should be on there. I just can't figure out where to put him. And so I, and he ended up dropping all the way off. <laughs> I, it, it's fair. And so I just kind of sucked it up and said, like, I'm just looking at talent. I, like, who am I going to want? If if everything's equal, who am I going to want the next three years? That's why I kind of ruled off Verlander and Scherzer, who are both incredible, right? And and would maybe be 11th and 12th on our list. Who knows? Probably not. It's pro- probably in the, the 13 to 15 range. But at any moment, it could go for them. I, I don't kind of view DeGrom that way. Um, so I, I have him in a different age bracket, I guess, if we want to put it that way. Um, I think something to keep in mind with with DeGrom is that like when he pitches, he is unequivocally the best pitcher in baseball. Like Spencer yeah. Strider actually on a, on a per inning basis last year, I think is the closest thing we've seen, um, which is why it was hard for me to actually rank him as low as I did. And I was like, man, I'm kind of high on Spencer Strider. And then looking at your list, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm actually not that high on Spencer Strider. And because of that talent level for DeGrom, even if it's a keeper league, again, the age doesn't really come in for me because he's he's not Scherzer and Verlander age. He's just not. He's still what four or five years away from being as old as those guys. Is that like if I see the best pitchers available are, I don't know, Luis Castillo, Shane Bieber, and uh, I don't know, let's throw another Kevin Gosman, three guys from our list on there. And Jacob DeGrom's there. Keeper league, redraft, it doesn't matter. There's no way I'm taking one of those guys over Jacob DeGrom. So I had to have him on this list. I had to for the sake of just like clarity for myself, put aside injury risk for a minute and just rank him um, as where I think he should be. And to be fair, I call him the best pitcher in baseball and yet I have him number two, right? I still have Corbin Burns ahead of him because Corbin Burns does have like seven years of age on DeGrom. Um, Corbin Burns, I don't think anybody in baseball has a better, if we're, if we're just kind of jumping into Corbin Burns here, only Carlos Rodon over the last two seasons combined has a better uh, fielder independent pitching FIP than Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is 2.46 mark. Um, Burns just does everything. He's awesome. The one thing we wanted to see from him was a substantial innings total, and he went out last year um, and threw over 200 innings. So I, I'm all aboard the, the Burns train here as the number one fantasy pitcher, but um, I got DeGrom there at number two. So you had Burns number one. We're in agreement there. Is there anything we need to say about Corbin Burns that hasn't already been said? He's really good. He is pretty Pretty good, isn't he? So I, I want to go to the next glaring omission um, from your list, and then we can we can continue on here, sort of sort of walk through it. Garrett Cole, is it the home runs? Is it the you don't have him on your list? Yeah, it's it's mostly the home runs. Um, and, and this may be this may be a case where my my auto new bias is is showing a bit because in I play a lot of four by four. I play a lot of auto new points leagues, and in those leagues, like his home run problems are are a problem. And I, you know, I've had a couple of people be like, "Oh, you know, the home run rate bounces around, blah blah." blah. I'm like, yeah, but like last year, his one point four eight home run per nine, like that's right in the middle of where he's been the last three or four seasons. It started before he got to New York. New York obviously doesn't help, but he's just, he just is Homer prone. He just is. And I don't think that's going to change. And so, 
you know, you look at his like his 3.5 ERA last year, and like I just sort of think that's who he is. And that's fine. And he's a very good pitcher, and 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 he is absolutely being hurt by his park in a way that downplays how good a pitcher he is for the Yankees. But I don't care. For right from a fantasy perspective, like you know, if if a pitcher goes to cores and you're like, wow, that guy's great for cores, doesn't change the fact that he's getting lit up from a fantasy perspective. And so I'm just, yeah, I'm just relatively low on Cole. I would like, and this is not a case like DeGrom where I'm looking at this list and being like, yeah, this is like, you know, I'm on the pick in the third round of a draft and DeGrom is there. Am I really passing on him to take Shane Bieber? Like, okay, maybe I'm not. Maybe maybe I need to rethink this. And I, I, I probably need to figure out where DeGrom actually goes on my list. Am I taking like, I I'm just not that interested in Cole. I'm just not. No, I think I think it's totally fair. And it, it, what it speaks to is the depth at the top of starting pitcher, um, which is almost like an oxymoron. But the the, the top of of starting pitching is is actually kind of deep, right? It's it's a big top. Um, it's it's like one through fifteen or one through sixteen. You could have any ten of those like sixteen names in your top ten, and I, I think it's perfectly fine. And it's it, legitimate concerns to bring up about Cole. Um, you know, something that was brought up on fantasy baseball today was like, you know, in a roto league with how deep the top of starting pitcher is, you are kind of putting yourself in a hole in ERA if you use an early pick on Garrett Cole, because he's just yeah. not in that elite class. At the same time, you might get 60 more strikeouts from Cole than you get from most of the starting pitchers that go in that same range other than Corbin Burns. So it is a little bit of a trade off. But um, no, those are legit concerns about Cole. And I, I think it's all stuff that... Um, we're pretty, we're pretty clear on. I do have a question for you about Cole and pitchers like Cole. He's absolutely a, a full-on fly ball pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. And in the past with the, the juiced ball, that was a death sentence. And clearly for Cole, it still kind of is, even though who knows what was going on with those baseballs with Aaron Judge and, and all that stuff there. Was Garrett Cole kind of still playing with the juiced ball while other pitchers weren't? Who knows? Do you think we see a little bit of a, um, I don't know, progress or, or improvement from fly ball pitchers relative to the mean because the ban and the shift is maybe going to raise the babips of pitchers who are more ground ball heavy and so we're going to see this little bit of evening off where fly ball pitchers already had low whips and now they might even be more of standouts in that category because uh i don't know the, those ground ball pitchers their their whips might go up as more hits sneak by those unshifted infields I don't know that I'd thought about that specific angle on the shift ban. Um, I mean, I guess the answer would have to be at some point, at some level, yes. Like if every pitcher's ground balls are equally impacted and there's no reason to think that like, I don't think there's any reason to think that like, ground ball pitchers will be more or less impacted on a per ground ball basis. At least not that I can think of, but I'm thinking about this right now. So <laughs> maybe I'm missing something, but I don't, I don't think there's anything that I look at in a per ground ball basis. It's like, Oh, if you're already giving up a lot of ground balls, then the shift will hurt you more or less per ground ball. But yes, if you're, if, if every ground ball is even 1% more likely to become a hit, then every hundred ground balls like is one more hit and you've got a lot more ground balls for, for a ground ball pitcher. Um, my, 
My instinct is to think that the impact will be small enough. I, I just think this. I think in general, the impact of the shift ban is going to be relatively small. Okay. I think there's a handful of hitters for whom it's been a real issue, but I think that I, I don't I don't expect BAPIPs to jump by 10 points or something like that. And, you know, we should be watching this in spring training. We're starting to get some data in, right? So that's that's exciting. But I don't expect the impact to be huge. And therefore, I don't expect the discrepancy between a ground ball pitcher and a fly ball pitcher to be huge. I expect it to be more of an impact on a concentrated set of hitters. That eloquently put, yes. I mean, the the way Chris Towers put it was that like every like Joey Gallo, every plate appearance that Joey Gallo has is as Joey Gallo, but every plate appearance for a pitcher is not necessarily against some pull heavy lefty or something like that. It, 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 right, league wide, we may see the league BABIP go up a little bit, but that is not going to be like per player. That's just an average. So, um. Well put, well put. We're going to take our first break, and then I want to ask Chad about Shohei Otani, the pitcher who he has number four. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back, everyone. Pete Ball, Chad Young, going through our top 10 lists for keeper leagues at starting pitcher. We've already had some key differences. One difference, though, is that maybe the best per-pitch pitcher in baseball I have left off my list, and that is Shohei Otani. Um, so I want to hear from Chad. Chad's got him really high, number four on his list. Chad, what made you rank Otani ahead of names like Alcantara and Woodruff Alcantara, who just won a Cy Young Award? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he's just a a per pitch, as you said, a a better pitcher than those guys. I mean, I think like last year, comparing Alcantara to Otani just to use, since that's the example you brought up, like Otani had the better XERA, he had the better FIP, he had the better XFIP. He, you know, he didn't throw as many innings and he didn't have as good an ERA, but I don't think that's entirely earned for Alcantara versus like, and, and I don't, I'm not doing this to downplay Alcantara. I have him, I have Otani fourth and Alcantara fifth. Like this isn't, this isn't like, oh, look how bad he is. My point is that like their numbers are relatively comparable. And Otani, I think actually shows up favorably except in innings pitched. Innings pitched matter. Like don't, I don't, don't get me wrong. That absolutely matters. But if you're telling me I'm, I can, I can probably get better rates from Otani, again, over a smaller number of innings, but I think I can get better rates from him. And I'm trying to pull it up right now, but last year in his 166 innings, Otani struck out 219 hitters. So 219 hitters struck out. Alcantara obviously threw a lot more innings. He threw 228 innings. He had 207 strikeouts. So I'm getting 12 more strikeouts. And especially when you look at leagues where there's like um, innings limits over the court, like auto new leagues are a good example of this, where you have a cutoff at 1500 innings, getting 12 more strikeouts while saving 50 innings is huge. It's huge. And so I look at that and it's like, 
I feel like I'm going to get relatively similar rates, maybe a little bit better from Otani, and I'm going to get more strikeouts. And that sort of balances out the innings for me. Um, I also think in, in five by five, you know, maybe I'm getting a little optimistic here for the for the Angels, but I think the Angels are going to be a pretty solid team, and I don't think the Marlins are going to hit very much. And so I think that Otani has a chance to get more wins than Alcantara because his issue, his innings issue, is the number of starts he makes. He, he goes deep enough into starts to get wins. This isn't a this isn't a Drew Rasmussen kind of situation or a. You know, trying to think of other pitchers get pulled early. Um, anyone on the twins. <laughs> so like, this isn't a, this isn't a case of like, Oh, he's getting pulled so early about like, that's, that's not what's happening. And yeah. I, and I think like I, I put him up there and then I was like, I don't know, man, this seems kind of aggressive to have him that high. And I went to look at, you know, I, I always look at a handful of other experts to see what, what they have to say. And my, my, my go-to, the guy I trust most on pitching is Eno Saris. Um, he has him fourth on his pitcher list. Uh, like his his top pitchers, his top, I think he's at 200 or something here, his most recent list. He has Otani fourth. He has he has Cole second, so we don't I don't agree with him on everything. I don't I don't always listen to Eno. But I I was like it like it wasn't like, oh, he has Otani fourth, so I'm gonna put him fourth. But it was like I've got Otani in my top five. Am I crazy to think that Otani the pitcher? Because it's to be clear, this is Otani the pitcher that I'm putting in my top five. Like, am I crazy to do that? And it was like, you know, if Eno's doing it too, I think I can live with that. No, I, I don't see why not. I think, again, it speaks to what I said earlier about these top 16, 17 names. You can really almost put them in any order. And it, with Otani, it's becoming almost like theoretical to, to rank him among starting pitchers because most platforms, if they didn't start this way, are shifting to Otani as one player, right? And so you're very rarely ever just drafting him as a starting pitcher. I think Yahoo might still have him as two players. So this is yeah, they do. I think. Yeah, I I don't understand that. I disagree with that. But we could do a whole episode on how we should view Otani. I think Otnu has it actually correct. Um, I think that's that's the way to go. I think in in weekly leagues, starting pitcher Otani. And if let's say you're in a Yahoo league that's weekly, let's get really specific here. So he's two different players where you might actually use him at starting pitcher, even though he's weekly. You will use him at starting pitcher, even though it's weekly. What makes him tough is he will never have a two start week. He just won't. In, the, in, in weekly leagues, those two start weeks are so, so, so important. So when we're getting really technical about fantasy value per pitch, per inning, you know, Otani might be right there with DeGrom and Strider, if not maybe a step back. Um, most pitchers can't say that. But in a format where it, it's weekly, especially if it's like a head-to-head weekly, only getting, never getting a two-start week, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. It, it is. But I so I'm going to throw a, a tweet out. Um, Rob Silver, who uh, he's on the Launch Angle podcast, and he, I think he's won an NFBC main event overall, like fantasy expert out there, tweeted out on, uh, just a week ago, a few days ago. I'm not sure if this is a hot take, but here goes. I think there's a pretty good chance Otani earns more this year as a pitcher than a hitter. Wow. What do you think of that? Well, I think if if Otani's strikeout rate is is or hovering around 30% and he's util only, which player raiders don't really factor in. But I think as a fantasy manager, you have to factor in position. Um, and if 
you know, uh, his stolen bases, I, I have to pull up his stats, but I thought his stolen bases took a step back last year and his home runs obviously did because he had that monster season the year before. I mean, basically, if he's the guy he was last year, then I could see it. Yeah, I could see the pitcher being being worth more than the hitter. Yeah. He, um, he went from 26. Team. He went from 26 stolen bases in 2021 down to 11. He also he got he stole 26 and got caught 10 times. And then he stole 11 and got caught nine. Well, <laughs> so that's a like that's pretty ugly, actually. Even the 26 and 10 isn't particularly yeah. good. But 11 and nine is, you know, at some point, I don't know. I can't imagine the Angels are gonna are gonna say much to Otani. Like if he wants to run, let the man run. Like you don't want to make him any less happy than he might already be. But at some point, someone's got to pull him aside and be like, "Dude, just stay on first base. You're fast. Hopefully, hopefully you'll get knocked over, but don't uh, don't don't keep getting caught, man. That's I don't know. But if no one on that team can hit other than him and Trout, who cares? I, I like the moves they've made for their lineup, but on, on yes. one hand, if if he's pitching as well as he did last year and, and everything, then, then he's awesome. On the other hand, like how I hate to be this guy with him. I, I know nobody wants to hear it. How long can he keep this up? Like it, it didn't work at the beginning of his career, and now he's put forward two, three incredible seasons. Really, two. Like can can he keep going and that has to be in every single the back of every single fantasy manager's mind right and it can't really affect our rankings um but it can definitely affect our psychology of drafting and in a in a daily league i'm still gonna let's do it let's do it. i can throw him in at utility i can throw him in at starting pitcher or whatever but um if i'm just getting otani the pitcher i feel like if he has any kind of injury he's gonna miss a month on the mound um and that that definitely impacts it. Um, but it is a contract year, so maybe maybe that comes into play. I don't know. There's so much we can unpack with Shohei Otani. Yeah. So uh, let, let's keep moving on our list here so we can get through most of these names and definitely some of the differences. Um, I think one name that, that sticks out is you've got McClanahan at three. I've got him at six. I think I look a little hypocritical here because I think he's very similar to Spencer Strider. You know, we saw, we saw more of a complete season from McClanahan, and yet, it wasn't quite as good as the smaller sample that we got from Spencer Strider. They're both awesome swing and swing and miss pitchers. They both saw a huge boon in their value last season, especially Strider. So looking at, at Strider and McClanahan, um, did you kind of view them similar when you were ranking them? You've got them two and three and what made you go Strider over McClanahan? So Strider over McClanahan is just that Strider on a pitch by pitch basis was just better last year. I, I like it's, it seems like a, a silly thing to say, but like he was better. He was just like, uh, honestly, I, I was closer to putting Strider over Burns. I just, the track record isn't quite there and I just wasn't quite as confident, but um, yeah, Strider was the best pitcher in baseball last year. I think. No, he, I, I'm, for, I'm comfortable. For fantasy stats, he was right. Yeah. Now, yeah, they both I mean, I, kind of broke down towards the end. Um, I, Strider, you could say it was a phantom IL stint to get him ready for the playoffs, but then he wasn't very good in the playoffs. Admittedly, it was a, it was a tiny sample, but relative to what he was doing, McClanahan clearly broke down. Um, that was concerning. He he was he fin- I think he finished the season like the very end strong, but when he came back from that, um, I forget what he was dealing with. I don't think it was elbow because I would have started panicking, but it was some kind of some kind of arm issue if I recall correctly. Whatever the case, he missed time, and when he came back. He was not nearly as good as he was before. So are those concerns for you 
because so much of starting pitcher is like, can you just do it? Can can you be a guy who consistently goes, you know, 160 to 200 innings a season, get me good strikeout numbers. And neither of these dudes have really done that. They, they have not got a full season of dominant ace level pitching and yet they're being drafted like they have. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, I guess to me, I mean, it, it, it seems a little weird given where I put <laughs> that I didn't put Degrom on my list. Although I've come around to the fact that I, I should have, and I'll 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 fix that. But <laughs> I'm just not that worried about either of them from a health perspective. Like they both seem. I, I don't see anything going on with either of them right now. It makes me think that they're about to break down, and I'm I'm like I'm more worried about Degrom being hurt than I am about them being hurt. Age does factor into that as well. So, you know, we're, you're, you mentioned DeGrom's age before, and I agree with what you're saying that, like, at 34 years old, of guys at the top of his game, I'm not like, oh man, Keeper League, 34, got to move on. But it does factor into a guy whose arm is already breaking down. Right. That I'm like, how likely is this guy to bounce back? And, you know, as, as a, my my early forties here, I can tell you, bouncing back in your twenties versus bouncing back in your mid thirties are not the same thing. And uh, I, I'm certainly not an elite athlete to be able to say, you know, oh, I know what it's like at 34. No way, Degrom, you know, ever is right because like it's just not a, it's not accurate. And you know, you look at Verlander, and he's the perfect example of the opposite of this. But it, it your body does not recover as well the older it gets, and it breaks down more easily the older it gets. And so I, I, for those two guys, part of it is just like they're young and they're talented. And like, I, I, they were, they were so good, so good. And so in a keeper league in particular, the upside here is, I don't know if you wanted to, if you were taking a bet right now on who is going to be the best pitcher in baseball over the next five years, I would I would bet on Strider or McClanahan over Degrom for sure, over a five year horizon, and I think it like they're much closer to a like how would I compare them to Burns than they are to how I would compare them to some of the guys lower on the list, so that so they stay up there. Yeah, no, that's fair. I I would love to have McClanahan or Strider in my keeper leagues. Um, so yeah. that is a that's a no brainer. We had an interesting trade of Strider just yesterday in my home league. Um, basically somebody moved up around in two spots and took, it took a first round Mike Trout, um, which I guess technically they'll be able to keep him for a second round pick for Spencer Strider. So I, I to me, you're giving up way and that Spencer Strider is obviously a last round value because he was a free agent. I thought that was selling way too low on Spencer Strider. I think there's such immense upside there. Um, so we're, yeah. we're kind of in lockstep. We're also in lockstep with a few names here. So Chad had Alcantara five. I had Alcantara, Alcantara four. I just love the ability to go, you know, 30 more innings than anybody else. Almost. I think Alcantara is a monster. Um, Chad had Woodruff sixth. I've got Woodruff ninth. There's nothing against Woodruff. I just have those eight names ahead of him because you can kind of rank these names in any direction. And then Chad had Nola seven. I had Nola eight. So those, those three names were pretty in lock, pretty much in lockstep. This one, you could, you could make the case we were as well. Um, but given how successful Carlos Rodon has been over the last two seasons, pitching for two different teams, um, I, I think that's, that's worth noting. It is hard to go to a new team and continue to pitch just as well. Carlos Ron has been incredible. And so I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on where you had him. And, and before uh, I did, I wanted to throw out some stats to you over the last two seasons. I said, Carlos Rodon has the best FIP in baseball. He also has the best K per nine, 
But the one stat that sticks out when I'm looking at this, aside from all the incredible stuff, is that he has somehow maintained a 7.8% home run to fly ball rate. And now he's going to Yankee Stadium as a lefty. Is that why you put him 10th or is it something else with Rodon? I think it's a little strong to say that's why I put him 10th. Um, I think that it it is... It's it's certainly a factor. Being a lefty helps a bit, right? He's not dealing with he he isn't quite as much dealing with that awful short porch and right field. He dominates lefties. Yeah, so that helps. That helps a ton. It makes that, but that park is still still a hitter friendly park, and he's still going to have to deal with that. And now he succeeded in a hitter friendly park in Chicago in 2021, but that was. Also in a, you know, that was, that was before we got the more balanced schedule. So he was dealing with the AL central. There's not a lot of power in that division. Like there's just, there was a lot working in his favor that year. He also only won 132 innings. Then he did it in San Francisco, which is a, a good pitcher's park. Now he's really, he's got a, it's a much bigger challenge for him. Like this is going to be a much bigger challenge. He's also, you know, he's crossing over 30 years old. He turned 30 a couple months ago. Um, he's had arm issues in the past as recently as 2021. Like even going into this last season, there were concerns about his arms. Like he, he's not sort of fully healthy necessarily. You have to at least be cognizant of that. And, and I, I think at some level, the reality is that after, I don't know. I'm trying to decide if it's after Woodruff or after Alcantara, but like when you get into like Nola, Castillo, Bieber, Rodon for me, it's like I could, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I don't know. You want to move Rodon up to seventh? Fine. Like I'm fine with that. I, I'm not, I'm not making like that. To me, there's not huge distinctions as you get into that group. And honestly, there's probably a couple of other guys who, like, you know, Cole gets very close there. Verlander, despite the age, gets very close there. Wheeler gets very close there. Um, I think guys like Manoa or Freed. Urias. Like, th- there's a handful of guys that I think you can. Yeah. Like, the, so part of it is just like you're getting into a tier where you could, you know, pick names out of a hat and I'd be okay with the order. I, you know, I, I bumped him down because of New York, because of the potential for arm issues. Whereas like you look at those other guys and like Nola's where he's always been. Castillo, if anything, is going to have the best. I mean, he is going to have the best park he's ever had. And he showed some signs last year that there might be another level to his game. Bieber, I think, continues to get downgraded because his velocity was down at the start of last year, but it was creeping up towards the end of the season. And, he's, and he was great. So it's like... I don't know. To me, Bieber is the kind of guy. It's like if he gets back another mile of velocity, he's going to be, he's going to shoot up these lists. Like if he if he comes out in his first spring start and his velocity is up, like his ADP is going to jump, or at least it should by a ton. And if his velocity just sort of stays where it was last year, then he'll pitch like he did last year. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so I like I, I'm just in a place now where it's like, eh, fine. Rodon above Bieber, Bieber above Rodon. Uh, I'm, I'm okay yeah, with it. I, I'm with you on that. I think there's there's this tendency now, um, especially in, in NFBC leagues. Well, I guess I can't really say that because the ADPs don't necessarily support that. But relative to last year, they do. We're starting pitching is kind of getting pushed down just a little bit. 
Um, and and that an emphasis has been put on hitting, especially with the dead and balls and so on and so forth. I like to use my first three picks on hitters, which means this is the range of starting pitcher that I'm looking to start my rotation with. So as long as I get one of these names, and if we're we're looking at NFBC ADP, and I haven't I haven't even filtered it, this is just maybe I should. So if we filter it for uh, draft champions, and let's go over the last two weeks. So this would include a Chad draft, right? Because you you did one of these bad Larrys. Um, I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm actually on the oh, clock literally exciting. right now. <laughs> um, if we filter that, guys who would start going in the fourth round, the first name that comes up is Carlos Rodon. Um, so he's a guy that maybe I am building my rotation around. I feel like I'm going to get my 200 strikeouts, even if the ERA goes up a little bit. But that Rodon, McClanahan, I'm going to leave Cease off. Um, and we're going to get to Cease because I, I see you have him down as uh, – a potential not great value, uh, but Verlander, Scherzer, um, even going to, to Wheeler and Bieber and Julio Rice, like you said, uh, Luis Castillo, Gosman, Javier, like th- this is where I want to start building my rotation. So this is an important group of pitchers um, to pin down here, because as much as I love Corbin Burns and have him as my number one pitcher, the reality is I'm just not going to end up with Corbin Burns this year because I don't think you need to draft a starting pitcher in the first or second round. There's too many good hitters that I want to pin down in that range. And I don't expect that to change. So this obviously has keeper league carryover as well. Um, there's three names left Two you had that I did not have. Well, really we, we talked about Bieber. So there's one name that I wanted to ask you about, cause you think he's going to have a monster season. He's eight on your list. That's Luis Castillo. I didn't have Castillo. I had Kevin Gosman down at number 10. Those are the two names left. Chad, Castillo, what are we thinking for this year? You think he's going to have a big year? Yes, I do think Castillo is going to have a big year. I think, Obviously, the park is is part of it. Um, the other thing with him last year was his changeup, which has always been his go to pitch. He used it less. He went from using it 30.5 percent of the time in twenty twenty one down to twenty two point three percent of the time last year. He also got worse results on it. His WOBA against went up to 313 after it had been 259 the year before. XWOBA was 290 versus 244 the year before. But he made strides with his other pitches. And I'm sort of curious to see like, what happens if he is able to bring that change up back to what we know it's capable of being. Because it, it suggests there could be another level in there for him. And that's on top of the fact that he's just out of Cincinnati. He gets a full year in Seattle. Like there's just a lot working in his advantage. And so I'm I'm very high on Luis Castillo this year. Yeah, I am too. I like that pick. I think you could definitely have him over the guy I have at number 10. I just really like Kevin Gosman. Um so Gosman has been kind of like the the poster child for reliability. Um, the, the results haven't always been there, right? I mean, it, it's been a little bit inconsistent throughout his career. Uh, when you rely on a, on a splitter, kind of like he did, it could come in and out uh, like it used to for Masahiro Tanaka. I used to like that comparison. But he's been super reliable. Like, look at his innings pitched uh, almost throughout his entire career. The only time it looks like there's a downturn was, well, in 2020, obviously. Uh, but he was pacing for a full season that year. He made his 10 games started and, and 12 appearances. Um, and then in 2019, where he was kind of a disaster for Atlanta, he was put on waivers, he was claimed by Cincinnati, and then he was thrown into a reliever role. Um, so he was still pitching. He wasn't hurt or anything. 
Uh, he was out there. He was just in a different role. And I think we saw him reach a new level last year. And the stat that everybody is throwing out there about Gosman is one that's worth bringing up. His BABIP last season was 363. Like, I I mean, I hate to put too much stock into individual statistics like BABIP and stuff that could maybe be explained for different reasons. But I'm sorry, I'm just not going to put down money that his BABIP is even close to 363 again, in which case we should see a little bit of an improvement. Um, so I really like Gosman goes deep into his starts. If you're in a quality starter or a league that obviously counts wins, I think he could be pretty good in the Blue Jays. I like Gosman. Um, before we get into our best ADP, worst ADP and prospect values um, at the starting pitcher position, we're going to take one more break and then we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Pete and Chad going through our top 10 starting pitchers for keeper leagues here on the keep or cut podcast. Um, I want to read through the list now that we finish going through them one more time. Chad had Corbin Burns at one Spencer Strider, two Shane McClanahan, three Shohei Otani, the pitcher four Sandy Alcantara, five Brandon Woodruff, six Aaron Nola, seven Luis Castillo, eight Shane Bieber, nine and Carlos Rodon, 10. I had Corbin Burns, one, Jacob deGrom, two, Spencer Strider, three, Sandy Alcantara, four, Garrett Cole, five, Shane McClanahan, six, Carlos Rodon, seven, Aaron Nola, eight, Brandon Woodruff, nine, and Kevin Gaussman, ten. So, Chad, we're almost there. I do want to talk some ADP values because ADP, especially at starting pitchers, where you start to draft your rotation and, and, and the places you choose to attack starting pitching, I think is so important this year, just like other years, but maybe more so this year with how thin hitting appears to be. Who is your best ADP value at the starting pitcher position? I've got so many names that I like late and not late. I am saying late, like I'm, but I, there are guys I like late, but that's not what I'm looking at here. I'm sort of the middle tier. And I, I, I was really torn between two guys the guy I ended up going with was Tyler Glasnow. And so Glasnow is his ADP in draft champions over the last three, four weeks is 83.5. That's the 25th starting pitcher off the board. If I go look just at his projections, Glasnow, uh, Fangraph's depth charts projections has him as number 15 starting pitcher. The bat has him as number 13. ATC has him as number 20. Um, and I think there's a, an assumption built in about his innings pitched that is, is bringing him down and fairly so, because I, I don't think we can count on him for a lot of innings, but I don't know. I, I'm, I think there's a weird balance here where like the projections all have him around 150 ish innings, which is. I guess it's probably fair. I was going to say it was a little low, but it's probably fair. 150 is probably the most we can really you know, reasonably expect. But they also have him for ERAs up above three. And like his last two seasons, you know, limited numbers of innings last year, but like he looked incredible in those two starts. And then again, in the postseason, he had 88 incredible innings in 2021. Like, I just think there's a lot of... uh there's a lot of risk in the profile for sure, but it's leading to projections that I think downplay how good he'll be when he's on the mound. And so I think that I think there is a path for him to pitch the way he's pitched for like 120 innings and still be well worth his draft cost right now. I like it. I agree with it. I want to throw something out to you. Um, and 
I'm not saying I agree with this, and I think it's a pretty clear reason why this is not the case. Um, but I, I think it was Chris Welsh who said that Tyler Glasnow is the Byron Buxton of pitchers. And you look at their age, and Glasnow is like like four months older than Byron Buxton. And when it comes to actual time on the diamond, it's it's kind of still. I mean, it's apples to orange. You're talking a pitcher versus a hitter. But it is very similar. So in in your mind, because I know you're not a fan of Buxton, but you like Glasnow's value, they, they're probably not going too far apart, even though, you know, again, it's apples to oranges, pitcher to an outfielder. What's the key difference for you? And I think it's a pretty obvious one. I mean, I think the biggest difference for me is that pitchers, and we'll, you know, we'll have to see, but like he threw, like he threw a full season in 2020, even though it was a shortened season. Pitchers have these injuries and they recover. And when they recover, like, I don't know, some pitchers are injury prone, without a doubt. And I, I think that the, the thing with, glass now for me is he hasn't quite had he hasn't had the opportunity to become buxton (laughs) let's see what happens this year buxton it's been so many different injuries and it's happened so regularly and with pitchers i'm more inclined to i don't we have enough history of pitchers like having tommy john surgery and coming back and being fine and that I want to see like a real string of injuries. And maybe I'm downplaying Glasnow's string of injuries versus Buxton, but that's that's the difference to me is that like Buxton's had that opportunity to get healthy, to start a season the way he wants to start it, to be to be right and ready to go and then get hurt again. And I feel like with Glasnow we're still in that sort of like finding out phase of what his what his injury situation really will be. Yeah. I, well, the, the, does that make sense? It, it does. I mean, first of all, Tommy John, it's a lot more predictable than I think it's been in years past. And, and we've kind of had this hard time shifting our view of it, that like he had the surgery, he's rehabbed, <laughs> he's back. Like I, I'm not concerned yeah. about the elbow. Now it, it is, is surgically repaired and maybe, you know, that's rose colored glasses and it could be a Strasburg situation, God forbid, or something like that. But I just don't have that concern. The other thing too, Maybe maybe I'm downplaying how good Byron Buxton has been. I think when they're both on the field, I think Tyler Glass now has been better. I think Byron Buxton is very toolsy, and he has the potential, which is the word I'm sick of using with him, to be incredible. But like Tyler Glass now, he was the Cy Young until he got hurt. Like he's unbelievable. Byron Buxton is very very yeah. very good. He, Byron Buxton has like first second round upside. Sure, I guess. But Tyler Glass now has best pitcher in baseball upside, and and I think that's that's a, a little bit of a difference there. So I'm uh, I'm with you. I like Glass now at that value. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. I think first of all, you you expressed what I was trying to express about the injury situation better than I did. So I thank you for for clarifying what I was trying to say there. Like I just feel like he's repaired, he's ready to go. But I think that other point is a really good one, which is um, Glass now being the Cy Young winner and. Buxton being the MVP are not equal likelihoods to me. That's a good way to glass. Now is much closer to winning the AL Cy Young than Buxton is to winning the AL MVP because you, if they both put up full healthy seasons you, and what's a full season for Byron Buxton, 115 games, no one's going to win an MVP with that many games. And again, I, over the last few Fair episodes, enough. it probably feels like I'm picking on him. I, I don't mean to, I just, I, the top 180 P is driving me crazy. So this is the year where he's actually going to break out. So I, I will look dumb. 
Um, my favorite, <laughs> probably my favorite ADP. I'm going to start drafting him right now. Yeah, you should, you should. My favorite ADP value is, um, Pablo Lopez, uh, which is not like the most exciting or sexy pick. I, I don't get it though. Like I couldn't understand why people were drafting him in the top 100, the last like three seasons, two seasons, whatever it was like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. Then he finally lives up to that. Like the one thing I really wanted to see from Pablo Lopez was like, we needed to see this guy actually pitch deep into a season. Like the most innings he had pitched in a season until last year was 111. I didn't get it. And then this year, or I'm sorry, in 2022, he pitches 180 innings. Like his second half wasn't as good. He didn't even average a strikeout per inning. So, I mean, those two things can maybe hurt, but like the, ERA estimators all supported what he did, which is a 3.75 mark. The ERA estimators actually like like um, XFIP was 3.56. So maybe there's there's some room for some upside. He also posted the best swinging strike rate of his career. So I think the strikeout numbers could come back a little bit. I think, you know, maybe he's not the the over 10 strikeouts per nine that he was in 2021. But is he a better than a strikeout per nine or a strikeout per inning guy? I think so. Um, so the fact that he just like plummeted, like, I don't know, 60, 70 picks in ADP is is confusing are people like scared of Minnesota I think it's a pretty good place to pitch it's a good division to be in I don't get it he feels like maybe it was that people thought he was really going to break out and be a stud and that's why they were taking him like like, they thought he was going to be a top 20 starting pitcher and so they were drafting him like that and then he didn't perform that way so now it's a little bit of post-hype stuff but I think he's pretty safe and the fact that he went 180 innings, had his best swing strike rate of his career, I, I'm missing how he lost value. Um, so I kind of like him where he's going. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Pablo Lopez fan, so I, I won't argue with that at all. Um, but I, I feel like I just, in general, like, I don't know, like another guy that I considered, I, I, I was going to say is I think I just struggle with ADP for pitchers because... You know, we, we've talked about, we talked about Pablo, right? We talked about um, Glass now. Like, Clayton Kershaw over the last three weeks is the 49th pitcher off the board. ADP of 128.33. There's some, there's relievers ahead of him. So maybe he's the 40th pitcher off the board. And like, Clayton Kershaw is better than the 40th best pitcher in baseball. He just is. Like, it's just like, it's just sort of like, I don't understand what, and th- this isn't a breakout thing. This isn't like, oh, I think he's ready to take the next step. Like, Clayton Kershaw has been great for like a decade, more than a decade at this point, right? Like, I, I don't understand why he is so low. Um, I- I'm, yeah, I'm just sort of confused by that one. And so I-, I feel like that comes up for me a lot, like you were saying with Lopez, where it's just like, I just don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get why this guy is where he is. And so... Yeah, that's where I am on on pitcher ADP in general. Well, on the opposite side of the spectrum, um, I I definitely agree with your worst value. I know you're going to agree with my worst value. You've got Dylan Cease. I think this is becoming a, a common pick among analysts. Is uh, people are beginning to cool on Dylan Cease. So uh, what's got you? What's got you down on a guy who may post the most strikeouts in baseball? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of issues I have with with Dylan Cease. And so the first is, and this has been my consistent issue with him, like he just walks too many guys. And that was his issue sort of pre 
breakout, right? Was you look at his 2019, 2020 seasons where he, he wasn't very good. And part of it was the strikeouts weren't really there yet, but he was walking over four per nine and then over five per nine over those two seasons. And he brought that down all the way down to 3.69 in 2021, 3.82 walks per nine in 2022. Like, his his walk rate over the last two years is still right around 10%. I mean, Dylan Cease over the last two seasons has a, a actually, it's not right around 10%. It is 10%. He has a 10% walk rate. That's high. That's not good. He walks a lot of guys. He walks a lot of guys and he does so in a park that is very Homer friendly, where this past season, he managed just an 8.4% home run per fly ball rate. And that is well below his career mark of 12.5%. It's also well below where Cease was in 2021 at 11.3%. So like he walks a lot of guys and he's going to give up more homers than he did. That home run rate's going to go up. And he doesn't get a huge ground ball rate. He did earlier in his career, right? He started his career with a 45.7% ground ball rate in 2019. And it's been going down. It went down for three straight years. Last year, it bounced back a bit, but it's still under 40%. So he doesn't get a ton of ground balls. He puts the ball in the air. He puts them all in the air in a park where the ball leaves the park fairly regularly. He walks a ton of guys. And like, yes, he had a 2.20 ERA last year. His XFIP was 3.50. His Sierra was 3.48. I'm, I'm not really convinced that he's... I, I certainly don't believe he's a sub three ERA guy, and I'm not really sure I think he's a low threes ERA guy. I think he's more like a mid threes ERA guy. And I I also I you add that all up, and there's there's also a very thin margin for error, right? When a guy walks too many players and gives up too many fly balls and pitches in a homer friendly park, there's just a there's a path to bad things happening. <laughs> That that is very concerning for me. And he is a guy who is going to be hurt by the balanced schedule. Right? I mean, he was he was facing a relatively weak division last year. And now he's gonna have more games against the AL East and more games against the AL West, which the West has its its weak teams as well, but like the the best team in the Central last year was Cleveland, and Cleveland was not well positioned to hit a lot of home runs off of a guy like Dylan Cease because it just wasn't what their it's not what our game is our game it's not what their game is, um, and so I don't know I just see a lot of things working in the wrong direction for a guy who. I think needs sort of everything to go well to have the results he did. And they did. Everything went well. He got those results. He is absolutely capable of putting it up again. I just don't buy that it's a good bet. There's nothing there that I'm going to disagree with. I'm I'm cooling on Cease as well. It's something that has been dissected by a few analysts already, but there was that that streak of like unearned or um, earned run that he went on where he had like 13 straight starts of one earned run or less. And uh, he broke like Tom's record or something, but over that stretch, he had like double digits unearned runs 
which like, look, sure, that does indicate that it's not the fault of the pitcher. But in reality, you know, unearned runs oftentimes can be the fault of a pitcher. Um, so his ERA was maybe a little bit misleading. And um, no, I, I, I 100% agree with that. For me, it was Garrett Cole for this. Um, I like Garrett Cole. I had him fifth on my list. But having him fifth is down on him relative to ADP, where he's the second pitcher off the board and, and going yeah for sure going second round. So I, I just he's going too high for me. That's all. And if I'm going to take a pitcher that high, I guess it's Corbin Burns. I, it's definitely not going to be Garrett Cole for me. So he went too high. Um, our last thing that we we need to mention here, Chad, are the prospects to stash at starting pitcher. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, with my pick, because I'm unprepared if you take my pick. So I'm just going to be be greedy here. Um, I'm going with Grayson Rodriguez, which is maybe the least original pick of all time because he's been hyped for so long. He would have made his debut last year if it wasn't for injury. And he's frankly awesome. Um, but with pitchers, I don't I don't I don't love to stash them um, in the one league where we have a prospect stash. I have Gavin Williams. That's my only starting pitcher that I have stashed. Um, But I like Grayson Rodriguez because he's going to play this year and he's most likely going to start the year in the rotation pitching in a great park. Um, And it was Eno Saris that tweeted out some of you mentioned earlier um, that Jordan Rosenblum um, of Prospects Live, super smart guy, definitely worth the follow at Rosen Jordan Bloom. Um, Eno tweeted that that Jordan used Grayson Rodriguez's minor league stuff plus from two starts, regressed them the proper amount for sample size, translated them to major leagues, park adjusted them, and used them in a projection system. These are, I, I don't even know what I'm saying here, but super smart people <laughs> did this and spit out a three ERA, 3.00 ERA with a 29% K rate. So if super smart people are telling me that Grayson Rodriguez is going to translate well to have good peripherals and a strong strikeout rate right off the bat, then fine. That's good enough for me. If I have to take a prospect starting pitcher, let's do Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, he's the best pitching prospect in baseball. He should be up for close to a full season. Like there there's, there's nothing to argue with there. Um, it's a really hot. I'm take, very excited right? about him. Like <laughs> if you like prospects, you might like this Grayson Rodriguez guy in the Orioles system. Yeah. Check him out. He's pretty good, yeah. but looking at some other names, there, there's been some talk and I'm just going to, there's a bunch of pitchers I'm interested in. And so I'm just going to throw some names out there rather than, than settling on one. But uh, there's been some talk that Andrew Painter could break camp with the Phillies. Um, I I don't know that I'm ready to assume he's going to get a full season in, but he is a, a terrific pitcher. The Phillies, you know, I mean, one thing we know about, uh, Dave Dombrowski is he's not going to wait around on prospects. Like if they're ready, they're ready. And if they're not, he's going to trade them. So <laughs> it looks like painter is going to get a real, a real shot. Um, Ricky Tiedemann, Toronto. I don't think he's likely to break camp with them, but their rotation is not like, there's some big questions in that Toronto rotation. And Tiedemann has a, a real shot to break in there. I think um, Yuri Perez, I think is probably more of a stash. I don't expect Miami to to push him um and then yeah Gavin Williams the guy you took I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Gavin Williams I mean, it almost makes me sad to be talking about him here because I should be talking about Daniel Espino and not Gavin Williams but Espino got hurt again and I just I don't know the other Cleveland fans out there um I'm getting flashbacks to Adam Miller and for those who weren't sort of like big prospect 
hounds a decade or so ago. Um, Adam Miller was a first round pick for, for Cleveland looked like he was just going to be an absolute star and had, I think it was a tendon issue in his finger and just could never get it right. And just never, I don't know if he ever made the majors. Um, and he like, Espino's giving me those vibes. It makes me sad, but like, yeah, Gavin Williams, I, I think he'll be interesting because he really should be up this year, but I don't know where he is in line for Cleveland. Uh, and so he becomes more of a stash for me than a guy I'm counting on this year, just because Cleveland's got a rotation they feel pretty good about. And then behind that rotation, like you've got Joey Cantillo and you've got Connor Pilkington. You've got like all these guys who are maybe not as exciting as Gavin Williams, but might be in line first. Um, and then, I mean, there's like other starting pitchers who I think could be up and making an impact this year. Taj Bradley, Kyle Harrison. Um, we, we talked about Lance McCullers going down earlier. That probably solidifies Hunter Brown, Hunter Brown in the Astros rotation. Uh, Brandon Fat with the Diamondbacks. Like, there's just a long list of pitching prospects I'm, I'm interested in. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of where I am. Yeah, no, it's a good list. Two other names to throw out there that I think we'll see this year: Quinn Priester, Bobby Miller. Um, those are maybe names to to keep an eye on. Definitely Bobby Miller. He looks nasty. Um, all right, that that'll do it for our starting pitcher primer. But before we conclude, Chad, I'm going to bring back a segment we used to do um, because it came up in a fantasy baseball chat that I'm in. My friend Chris is in the Pitcherlist Ot New League. Um, after after I secured for him a forty seven dollar Juan Soto and thirty nine dollar Jacob Degrom. He showed up to the auction, and so I let him take over. Um, just wanted to get those those <laughs> wins thrown out there. Um, and we started chatting, um, and he asked me a question. So the odd new question of the day, we're gonna we're gonna bring that back. And the Ooh. the question is, oh I, I, maybe I asked you this, and I just don't remember. Odd new. We have our five outfielders. We got our two catchers, but I get that right. One hundred sixty two games total. That makes sense. I think that's the right way to do it. Right. First base, second base, third base, shortstop, utility. But we have middle infielder and not corner infielder. And I'm curious why that is the case. So it's a great question. Um, and this is this is less a analysis question and more a, a history lesson, I think. But uh, if you, you know, we, we've talked before about the history of Otto New and how it got started with Niv and Jeff and I and wanting to sort of recreate the job of a general manager and blah, 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 blah. And at the time, and I think this is still pretty true, we felt that a major league roster. And if you look at our, if you look at the, the starting lineup for auto new, it is much closer to what a roster looks like than a lineup, right? You've got five outfielders, you've got a utility guy, like, yep, whatever. Our thinking at the time was, um, teams carry an extra middle infielder. They have to, no team has a starting second baseman and a starting shortstop. And that's it. Lots of teams between their DH, their first baseman, their third baseman, plus their other middle infielders and stuff, don't carry an extra corner infielder, right? You've got another guy who could play first base. You've got another guy who could play third base, but you're not necessarily one. And again, accounting for your DH, right? Because your DH is often a, a first base or third base type or a corner outfielder where you've got a corner outfielder who can move to first and you got a, your middle infielders can move to third and blah, blah, blah. But like, it isn't necessarily common or necessary for a team to need another third baseman or first baseman. And so that's, it, it had nothing to do with fantasy baseball. It had nothing to do with like how we liked 
fantasy leagues to work and had everything to do with our analysis at the time of rosters in Major League Baseball and how GMs and teams built their rosters. Love it. So very quick follow-up. Do you think the implication Mm -hmm. on that is that, have you noticed, do shortstop and second base eligible players go for maybe a little bit more than players of similar skill sets at the corner positions because teams just have to start more of them? Has that been a thing? Yeah, I mean, it should. It should drive up. It should drive up middle infielder value relative to other fantasy leagues and drive down corner infield value relative to other fantasy leagues. Um, I think, especially in that's especially true in five by five, in four by four, and even more so in the points leagues where your corner infield bats tend to be your best bats and are therefore almost always going to eat up. Like that utility spot in in a point auto new points league or an auto new four by four league, it's a first baseman or maybe an outfielder or maybe a third baseman. You're almost never putting a middle infielder in that spot. You're you're certainly not putting a catcher in that spot. Um, and so, and I guess you know I say certainly never, but like there are exceptions to every rule. But in general, you're often looking at a a first baseman, third baseman, or maybe an outfielder. But with five outfielders, it's not very common for me to put an outfielder in my utility spot. So from that perspective, I think you're almost what you're doing in those formats is you're losing your utility guy because your utility bat is what, you know, what used to, what should be your corner infield bat in a league that has corner infielders becomes your utility bat and you don't have another utility bat. Um, and so from that perspective, it doesn't have as as big of an impact. Whereas in five by five, your utility guy very easily could be a middle infielder, right? If you've got a middle infield, you know, you need some more speed. You need to have a sixth outfielder. Like there's much more balance at utility spot in five by five. So from that perspective, I think in five by five, it's certainly in, well, it certainly increases the positional adjustment you need to make for middle infielders versus what you need to make for corner infielders. In points leagues and in four by four, I think it does, but to a much smaller extent. Makes sense. All right. I love it. That's some good insight. I, I'm glad we brought back that segment. That was a great segment. And uh, it's going to rear its ugly head or pretty head every now and then um, throughout the season here. That does it for the starting pitcher primer and for the new question of the day. As always, folks, please consider giving us a rating on Apple podcast. I don't know what's it called on, on just Apple reviews. Uh, I think it's Apple Podcasts. Just on Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. I haven't used Apple. So. Yeah, neither do I. But we love to read them. Uh, we will read them. And uh, if you ever have any questions, send them our way. We'll do more mailbags as the season gets closer. Um, and I guess that does it for our positional previews, Chad, right? I mean, we could do relievers, I guess. But I don't know. Maybe more of a mention. Maybe we'll talk through relievers quickly Yeah, we could, <laughs> at some point. We could do that. <laughs> so thanks for listening, folks. And we will see you next week. Back to the weekly program.